You know, according to Andy Williams, Christmas is the most wonderful time of the year. And fitting to Ralphie, it's the time of the year where kids get everything that they want, including a Red Ryder BB gun. According to the Lifetime channel, jilted young lovers live happily ever after when their unexpected beau proposes love and a Christmas marriage. Today's commercial Christmas is ridiculously idyllic, isn't it? It's not really the way it happens. But you and I sort of struggle in this too. The forecast, according to this morning, is for Christmas Day to be 66 degrees and mostly sunny here in Attawada County. And yet we somehow still think that there is going to be sleigh bells ringing, a jing, jing, tingling tune. It's crazy, isn't it? Perhaps later we'll look outside and see that snow is falling and friends are calling. (laughs) Yoo-hoo, that's right. We wish each other a Merry Christmas and we sing now, bring us some figgy pudding. Although we have no idea what figgy pudding is, nor does it sound like anything we want to have. But we sing things like, Now, we won't go until we've got some, so bring some out here. Christmas is just really strange, isn't it, the way commercialism drives it. It's Christmas time, the most wonderful time of the year in which we bring glad tidings of good joy. And yet Christmas can be very challenging emotionally, financially, physically, and in other ways. So the season highlights for us the great joys of life and the sorrows of life. It highlights the nearness and the distance in life. So it's good for us to take a moment and just look to God's word to get grounded again in the real comfort of Christmas and what God has in store for us related to Christmas. So I want to focus on that by looking to Isaiah 40. It's a great prophetic scripture Isaiah 40. Turn in your Bibles, if you will, and let's find that passage. Because regardless of your experience this Christmas, I believe that we all can find great comfort from God's Word. Isaiah chapter 40, begin with me in verse 1. Comfort. Comfort my people, says your God. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and cry to her that her warfare is ended that her iniquity is pardoned, and that she has received from the Lord's hand double for all her sins. Verse 3. A voice cries, In the wilderness prepare the way of the Lord. Make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be lifted up. Every mountain and hill be made low. The uneven ground shall become level and the rough places a plain. And the glory of the Lord shall be revealed, and all flesh shall see it together, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. Now, we need a little bit of background to understand this passage. Isaiah was a prophet called by God to serve during the divided kingdom. His message primarily focused on God's judgment against Judah, but also on God's mercy. The prophet had pointed out Judah's sins against God. They included some pretty rough things like 
rebelliousness against God, idolatry, false worship, just real degrading ways of treating the poor as well. And so the prophet spoke candidly about God's judgment. And that judgment would come by the hands of the enemies nearby. But at the same time, God was pronouncing his judgment through the prophet Isaiah. He also spoke of the great mercy and hope that was being extended by God to them through the Messiah. And it's a hope that is extended to all people of all nations. In Isaiah 39, the prophet foretold about Babylon that would take the people into exile. And a century later, it happened. Babylon defeated Jerusalem and burned the city down, took most of the valuables there, and seized its populace, those who were remaining. The people who God promised to be a great nation, one that would bless all the rest of the world, was now defeated and removed from the very land that God had given to them. From Isaiah's perspective, as Israel's as well, they could not be more defeated or disillusioned In fact, you'll notice over in Isaiah 40, verse 27, the people felt absolutely rejected by God and ignored by him. Now, there's a couple of misunderstandings and misgivings that the people had that I want to draw attention because you and I might be in the same boat. First of all, at the time, the people didn't understand the high call and standard required of those living in a covenant relationship with God. They just didn't get that. And they didn't exercise in that. As a result, they sinned against God and his covenant, disregarding the very consequences that God said would come about if they sinned against him in this way. And when God exercised his discipline against them, they were very slow to move in repentance. And maybe in this prophet, prophetic word, you and I need to take note that we ought to be very quick to reject sin immediately when God reveals it to us. We ought to suspend it, denounce it, and turn away from that. Because we are covenant people in a new covenant given to us, established by God through Christ Jesus. And covenant people are called to a high standard of living. You ought not, and I ought not, reject that standard. We ought to embrace that standard and be quick to live it out. It's best to turn away from sin when its presence is recognized and to avoid the sorrow of living without repentance. Secondly, the people who were facing all this suffering, they failed to understand that God fulfills his promises, including his covenant promises with his people. That God always fulfills his promises, and they needed to understand that, and so do you and I. Now, the promises had been given by God to the people of Israel, and he did that through the forefathers, first to Abraham, then Isaac and Jacob. I want to just communicate to you from the scripture of Genesis 28. Here's the promise, the covenant promise that God had given to Jacob, whose name obviously was changed to Israel. And behold, the Lord stood above it, Speaking of that ladder that Jacob had seen and and the heavens interacting with the earth. And here's what God said. I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and your offspring. That's a promise. The land where you have been sleeping, I'll give it to you. I'm making this my promise, God says. 
And it will be for your offspring. Verse 14. Your offspring shall be like dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the east, and excuse me, to the west and to the east, and to the north and to the south. And in you and your offspring shall all the families of the earth be blessed. So there's promises, central promises that are absolutely crucial. Now, you and I have promises that have been extended to us. Those promises are going to be true because God made them. God never has made a promise that he has not kept. And he makes promises in this new covenant that he has established with us as well. And I've listed those for you in your handout. These are terrific promises to us that God will never withdraw. First, he promises salvation and new life to all those who believe in Jesus, his son. And those promises are that God is going to complete that work of salvation that he has begun in us. He promises comfort during our afflictions. He promises every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus from heavenly places. He promises to supply all of our needs. He promises to us spiritual rest and power. He promises abundant life for today and eternal life for tomorrow. He promises to return and bring us unto himself that where he is we may be also. And he promises to us an eternal inheritance. That's just a a small portion of the promises of God. So you and I ought to recognize, here's what God requires of us living in a covenant relationship with him. And here's the promises of God that are going to be true, eternally true. 2 Corinthians 1 says it this way, for all the promises of God find their yes in Jesus Christ, find their yes in him. That is why it's through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. Now, here's where we're nestling down in this Christmas message. Christmas is a celebration of God fulfilling his promises. When it comes down to it, that that is what Christmas is. That's really why Christmas is merry, because God is fulfilling his promises to us. The season, this season has comfort and joy because we find all the prophecies and all the promises realized in the birth of Jesus Christ. With the incarnation of Jesus comes a domino effect and all the other promises and, and the prophetic words that God had been uttering are falling. They are given as Jesus Christ has come, God incarnate. When the Messiah is spoken about, It's a wondrous promise that God has given and he has fulfilled. So when Isaiah prophesied the words in chapters 39 and 40, he saw Judah's future hardship simultaneously with God's mercy and grace, his comfort. Now we're talking about an extension, a prophetic extension of seven decades. It's written as if it's already happened, but these things had not happened when Isaiah prophesied it. It's written in the past tense because it is certain to be accomplished. And so the the, uh, prophet communicates it in that way. So he's saying, in this time, this is what's going to occur. And 100 years later, this judgment, this discipline of God came. And 70 years beyond that came the extension of God's grace and mercy and comfort that was provided. But Isaiah is seeing more than just that century and a half. Isaiah is seeing into the future to the first advent. He's talking about Christmas. And he even sees beyond that, he's talking about the second advent when the millennial kingdom is established by Messiah himself. 
So here's the point. Regardless of our suffering and our sorrows and our sadnesses of today, our comfort and joy are found in the eternal promises of God. They rest in the eternal promises of God, which are obviously realized in Christ. So he doesn't communicate the word Christmas, but Isaiah is actually viewing Christmas in this prophetic text. And here's Isaiah's view of the comfort of Christmas. Isaiah views Christmas's comfort as God seeing and speaking beyond our sin, judgment, and sorrow to his provision of comfort. It's God seeing through that. It's God speaking beyond that. It's God's provision of comfort. So in Isaiah 39, God has enabled Isaiah to see nearly 100 years into the future when God's judgment would be exercised against the people of Judah. And then in chapter 40, he speaks beyond that into the extension of God's mercy, which would come after they had been in exile 70 years. So the prophet also spoke about the birth that would take place of Jesus over five centuries later. And Isaiah is declaring this birth, this Christmas in which you and I celebrate. And he even speaks further into the millennial kingdom of Jesus. So it would be fair and just if God had changed his message to the prophet. It would be right for God to say, judgment, judgment declared to my people. But he doesn't do that. Instead, God is declaring comfort, comfort. It would have been right for God to say, I bring judgment because I'm done with you. I've had enough with your false prophets and priests and kings who align themselves with sinful foreign countries. But God doesn't say judgment, judgment. God says comfort, comfort. Christmas is really about God's great comfort. God demanded that his prophet would declare the words of mercy and grace rather than judgment. So before their discipline and their exile, he wanted them to know that he was not abandoning them. He wanted them to know that he would reveal his glory to them. He wanted them to know that there would be a herald of good news in Jerusalem again. It would come. Oh, discipline was certain, but God's mercy would come as well. Listen to the words of hope that God gave to this very sinful and troubled people in Isaiah 40, verse 10 and 11. It's one of my favorite parts of this text. God says, in the midst of the pronouncement of judgment, behold, the Lord your God comes with might and his arm rules for him. Behold, his reward is with him and his recompense before him. He will tend his flock like a shepherd and he will gather the lambs in his arms. He will carry them in his bosom and gently lead those that are with young. There's tenderness, isn't there? There's compassion. There's mercy. There's great words of comfort in this. So Throughout life, there are hardships, regrets, failures, brokenness, and sin. But Jesus brings us hope to a new beginning, to, to a new relationship, a, a, a newness of life that comes for all who put their faith and life in him. And Isaiah is seeing that. Through all the brokenness, through all the sin, through all the discomforts, Isaiah is seeing the hope of God coming in the flesh 
who will bring us like a good shepherd would to himself, close to him, drawing us to him. So the Christmas message is this. God longs for your comfort, not your judgment. God is longing for your comfort, not judgment. He desires hope for you, not damnation. He wills that none would perish, not even one. Now let that settle in for a moment. That God desires for you comfort, not judgment. We need to let that settle in because oftentimes we don't hear the words comfort, comfort. Instead, we hear the words judgment, judgment. And God wants to make sure that we understand that he speaks tenderly to his own. He knows their warfare. He knows their sin. He knows their iniquity. And he pardons it. Some Christians might think that God focuses on their sin constantly, always feeling God's judgmental eye upon them. But my friends, God doesn't declare judgment in your life. God declares comfort in your life. Comfort, comfort declared to my people. For those who are born again, you and I need to know that God does not see our sin any longer. In fact, he sees instead the righteousness of Jesus Christ, his son. And for that, we say hallelujah. Praise the Lord. He says in Colossians 3, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Your life, my life, hidden with Christ in God. What is God viewing? God is seeing us tucked, hidden in his son. According to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, God removes our sin and he replaces it with the righteousness of Christ. And thereby viewing us forever as new creations. If God is focused on the darkness of our lives, then his light has come in vain and his grace is belittled. God is not focusing on your dark sin. God is focusing on the glorious righteousness of Jesus that has been given to you, treasured in you. Now, I'm not making less of sin, but I am making much of God's redeeming grace. And that's what the prophet is doing by the declaration of God. Comfort, comfort my people. Do we sin? Sure we do. And in God's love, he disciplines us in our sin to bring us back to himself. So following the discipline is always the comfort. So as this Christmas season is here, let me remind you that we always remain in Christ and Christ remains in us. That God's blood shed for us in Christ Jesus is forever effective in cleansing us of all of our sin. That Christ has canceled the sin debt. So because of his completed work, the sin debt against us always has a zero balance to it. We remain eternally sealed by the Holy Spirit who is the guarantee of our inheritance until it comes about. And we remain chosen by God because he chose us before the foundation of the world. Nothing is going to change that. So comfort, my people. As you view Christmas, as you engage in Christmas, comfort. Not with the shallow, frivolous way in which the commercial world does it. 
but comfort knowing the promises of God are yes in Jesus Christ. So God makes it possible for you and me by Christ our Lord to genuinely experience and declare Merry Christmas because Christmas brings us great comfort. One of the great treasures of Christmas songs that you're probably hearing right now is God rest you, merry gentlemen. Listen to the words. God rest you, merry gentlemen. Let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ our Savior was born on Christmas Day to save us all from Satan's power when we were gone astray. O tidings of comfort and joy. Comfort and joy. O tidings comfort and joy. What's the songwriter saying there? The declaration of Christmas is comfort and joy. Why? Because Christ has changed our lives. The promises of God are complete in him and treasured to us. So Isaiah called on the people to anticipate the Lord's arrival. He says in chapter 40 verse 5, the glory of the Lord shall be revealed and all flesh shall see it together. So that declaration to the shepherds that Christ the Savior had been born was the beginning of that. And then when they came far and wide, a couple of years later, and the wise men approached the Lord, they did so because God was making it revealed that the Savior was born. The promises had been established and fulfilled in Christ. So the words of the Old Testament prophet are multidimensional. The miraculously spanning 100 years, 150 years, and then 500 years beyond that, and then now at least 2,000 years beyond that. You can think of the words of the Old Testament prophets sort of like a modern cell phone that has cameras in it. Many of the smartphones now have two or three or even more lenses to the camera, giving us an ability to have clearer photos with a depth and width like was uncommon before. In fact, according to one manufacturer, the lens works separately and in harmony with each other so that you and I might have an innovative mobile camera experience. Boy, doesn't that make you want to go spend 1200 bucks right there? <laughs> so God is communicating through the prophet an image to him with three separate views, but yet are harmoniously linked to each other. And I want you to get that. The first view of the lens is Isaiah 45. God is enabling Isaiah to see 150 years into the future and actually name the king who will declare the edict for Judah to return back to Jerusalem and be freed from their exile. Now imagine that, that God is giving Isaiah the opportunity to name the king who was not even born, who would lead the empire which was not even in power yet, and yet God gives him that view. That's a pretty wide and deep view, isn't it? And certainly Cyrus was that. Babylon came in and brought destruction to Judah, but then that empire started to wane and the Persian empire started to increase and Cyrus, as he took his throne, 
declared that Judah could return home. It came about exactly as the prophet said. That's one lens. But the multidimensional lenses are meant to even give us a wider scope, a wider understanding. Harmonious, yes, but a wider understanding. And so the second focus is the prophet seeing the comfort that Christ would establish in the first advent, Christmas time, when he would be born among us and have an earthly ministry here on earth. And, of course, that would take place 500 years after Isaiah's ministry. John the Baptist was preaching in the wilderness, calling out for people to repent because, as he said, the kingdom of heaven was at hand. It was near. He called them to know and prepare for the Messiah when he would come. And as Matthew declared, for this is the one who was spoken by the prophet Isaiah when he said, the voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make his path straight. Of course, one day, John saw Jesus approaching. He said to the others around about Jesus, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. So we recognize this multifocus camera that God has allowed an image to be taken for Isaiah to declare to us. First is about Cyrus, but it's most importantly about Jesus who would come in the wilderness and reveal the glory of God, dwell among us, bringing us comfort. One who could pardon our sins. One who could demonstrate God's glory. And the revelation of that came on that first Christmas morn. But then there's a third lens in this image, and that lens is which God enabled Isaiah to see the second advent of Christ. The great day when all the world will see the glory of God. Now he came quietly, he came humbly in his first advent, but in the second advent, he will be gloriously seen by everyone. It's the reason why I think it's important for us as we celebrate Christmas and the birth of our Savior to anticipate the second coming of our Savior. Those two are meant to be linked together. He came and he's coming again. As certain as we are of the first advent, we should be as certain of the second. So Christmas is not idyllic, not as the world makes it appear to be. On the contrary, there is much pain and much sorrow, and sometimes this season highlights that. But at the same time, the real purpose of Christmas is for God to bring comfort and joy to you, knowing that in God and his promises that are yes in Jesus Christ, every sorrow and every experience of hardship and loss is going to be changed. Jesus is making all things new. And your hurts and your farness from those you love and your hopes that seem to be dashed will be changed. And Jesus has already set forth that in action. Christmas is God seeing through our sin and our rebellion and his judgment to provide a redemptive means for you and me to have his grace and mercy and new life. That's Christmas. So Merry Christmas, church. I mean that in the fullest sense of the word. Merry Christmas. 
Be happy this Christmas. You say, oh, my experiences don't make me feel happy. Oh, Merry Christmas because Jesus is changing your experiences. Jesus has come to bring you hope. Jesus has come to bring you joy. So when you hear the words, Merry Christmas, for the next week, as you hear those words, know that God is accomplishing in Jesus Christ every promise that he has made. And when you declare Merry Christmas, declare Merry Christmas with the gospel impact that others might understand that Christ has come, seeing past their sin, seeing past their rebellion, seeing past the judgment that has already been pronounced to the hope that is extended in Christ Jesus. So wish them a Merry Christmas and wish them to come to Jesus where their lives can be forever changed. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for bringing comfort to us in Jesus. Comfort and joy. And help us, Lord, to wish and bid those good tidings to others. To communicate the gospel clearly. To live with the hope and the expressions of our hope. Even as we face times of sorrow and pain and suffering and demise, God, let it be that the world sees we have hope because of Jesus. For he is God in the flesh that has come to dwell among us. And we live in him and he in us. So we bless you for Christmas, Lord. We bless you for all that you are beginning and completing. And we bless you for your coming again. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray. In your name, amen.